0: You're at the Over and Under Show. I'm your host, Ed Henderson. And man, it's a crazy world we live in. It has no shortages of rabbit holes. I'm not scared of rabbit holes. If you're not scared of rabbit holes, this show is for you. Let's see if we can jump in one and make our way back to the top. Hello, I'm Ed Henderson, and you're on Over and Under. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is June the 3rd, 2022. This year is flying by. My gosh, it's getting by so quick. This is Rambling Fridays, Friday ramblings. I get them confused, doesn't matter. This is just a time where I talk about different things. I might be tying some loose ends from a topic that we spoke about earlier in the week. I might be sharing a personal experience, a conversation, maybe a trip that I took, some of the impressions that I took from that. But I think I'm going to talk a little bit more about that topic that I was talking about earlier in the week concerning... That supposed time when the Democrats and the Republicans switched places, if you didn't hear that podcast, I'll I'll try to give you a really quick summary. Supposedly in the time of the history of the two parties, there was a, a time where I guess the racist Democrats went over to the Republican side. And I guess if you're a decent Republican, you became a Democrat or an Independent. As I look over history, I'm not seeing that now. There was a migration uh, that took place, but I don't think it had anything to do with racism. What I do think it had something to do with is the Democrat Party just started moving so far left, and it started in the 60s. And it made people like Ronald Reagan leave the party, become a Republican. And he famously said when asked, why did you leave the Democratic Party? He said, I did not leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. And to this day, the Democrats are moving to the left to a point to where, my gosh, I think Bill Maher is some type of right wing nut job. Bill Maher was firmly established as a man of the left, a progressive. Even now, the Democrats are getting a little too silly for him. Now, I don't look for Bill Maher to become a Republican, but he very well might become an independent. And then you've got people like Elon Musk said that, you know, I've always voted for the Democrat. I thought that was the charitable the charitable group, the kind group, people seeking liberty. His personal experience is that that's not necessarily true. And now he's thinking about voting Republican. So I don't think it's so much. It was about racism. I just think it was an attack on traditional American values. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those people in the South, they, well, they love their country. They like their Second Rights Amendments. They love their religion. You could put me in that category of loving religion, loving his country, supporter of the Second Amendment. I'm with that group doesn't necessarily mean that they're racist, but if you start attacking all those other things that are important structures in their life and things that they believe in, well, they're going to move somewhere. They're going to either leave your party or they go to the independent so they don't have to commit one way or they go to the Republican Party. And I think that was, I think the culture wars had much more of an impact than the question of racism, which I would say, As a uh, registered Republican, which I have been my entire life, I'm very proud of the history of the Republican Party. It's uh, undeniable that they uh, came into existence, if not for 100% abolition of slavery in America, it was a huge party. It would be in the high 90 percentile. You would be making a... uh, argument that wasn't worth making because you can do a Google search and all of them are going to start off somewhere in the first sentence and tell you that that party came into being to abolish slavery in the United States of America. Not only did they abolish slavery in America, they followed it up with uh, three constitutional amendments. I mean, just setting it in concrete, those being the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments of the Constitution the 13th that granted the freedom to begin with, outlawing slavery, the 14th Amendment granting full citizenship. You would like to think that you would not have to do that, but these Republicans were not going to leave any stone unturned, leave any questions, and so they were given full citizenship. And then, very importantly, in the 15th Amendment, they were given the right to vote. All these are God-given rights that they should have had from the set of this country. And so I don't think anybody would argue who was who back in 1850. I took you up to Woodrow Wilson, and I think I made a very strong case for the bigotry of Woodrow Wilson so much that I think uh, in 2020, Princeton had started divesting itself of any type of reference or association with Woodrow Wilson started taking his name. Off of buildings, uh, residential college, very apologetically having to admit there's some things like endowments that will have to continue in his name because that was the agreement that they ha- they took them under and they were legally bound to do so. Otherwise, you would not probably hear the name Woodrow Wilson uh, at Princeton, and you know he was a former president of Princeton. But he goes into office, and in, I think we're around 1913. I mean, he loves the KKK. He does a uh, viewing of the movie Rebirth of a Nation, which glorifies the uh, KKK. And if you are an American citizen and if you're a Southern uh, Democrat and you yearn for the days of the plantation, you're thinking, man, just maybe we can do it again. Maybe we, maybe the South will rise again. and We will have white supremacy. So you would have been very encouraged. And then I took you all the way up to... Uh, the 40s and the 50s, and Dwight D. Eisenhower's uh, Civil Rights Act of 1957 have been almost 100 years since anybody did anything, uh, nothing since Reconstruction, trying to give some teeth, because, you know, it's one thing to say you're free, it's uh, one thing to say that you can vote, it's another thing when you have people frustrating, suppressing you, and oppressing you, which is what Jim Crow laws did, and Jim Crow laws were manufactured by none other than Democrats. So if you were born in the last 20 years, I would understand if you thought that it was the Republicans that supported uh, slavery, and you would think that the Democrats were the ones who uh, were very strong abolitionists. I would understand if you thought that it was the Republicans that enforced Jim Crow laws and segregation. Today's Democrats act like you forgot it because they're the first ones to bring up voter suppression. They're the first one to bring up Jim Crow laws to talk about civil rights. They got a horrible history in civil rights. And now we're up to Lyndon B. Johnson, and he signs the uh, Civil Rights Act of 64 and 65, and he thinks you forgot that he worked as Senate Majority Leader to weaken Eisenhower's 1957 Civil Rights Bill. And unfortunately, it was weakened. It took some of the teeth out of it, but it did set the uh, pace for uh, the 64th and 65th Civil Rights Acts that would be signed by Lyndon B. Johnson, but for a totally different motivation, and I'll tell you why my opinion is such. By the time Lyndon B. Johnson became president, Dwight D. Eisenhower, he already saw Dwight D. Eisenhower sent the 101st Airborne. He saw him send an army, nationalize the Arkansas National Guard, sent a thousand troops into Little Rock so black children could enter a white school. If there were any confusion concerning what was going to happen, it was no longer. There was no longer a question about it. These people had been waiting a very long time to see all the fruition, all the freedom that they were guaranteed but effectively suppressed by people like Lyndon B. Johnson. What Lyndon B. Johnson saw was that is a lot of votes that are getting ready to be cast. And if we can't beat them, we might as well join them because otherwise that's going to start assuring Republican victories in the in the South, so you know I could I could I could repeat a lot of things that uh, Lyndon B. Johnson said that were so incredibly racist, but I'm going to let those words come directly from a gentleman that was by the name of Robert Parker. Robert Parker was Lyndon B. Johnson's chauffeur, and you know he was always referred to as either Chief Boy and worse yet, commonly called the N-word. And this is how LBJ would address him. And he said, you know, he was raised in Texas like LBJ, and he just kind of figured that's that's the way it was. He said one day that LBJ, sitting in the back of the car, asked him, does it ever bother you that you're called Chief Boy and the N-word? And he said, you know, he he answered honestly, and the only thing he said was, Well, you know, my name is Robert Park. And LBJ became incensed. He slammed the newspaper down. Uh, He said it kind of took him by surprise. He thought that LBJ, I guess, was being sincere. Let me tell you what Mr. Parker said LBJ said to him concerning if that bothered him. And I quote, Let me tell you one thing, N-word. As long as you are a black, and you're going to be black till the day you die, no one's going to call you by your GD name. So no matter inward. You let it roll off your back like water and you'll make it. Just pretend you are a GD piece of furniture. And Mr. Parker said that was like getting a knife in his stomach. He took such great pride being the chauffeur of the president of the United States, served him the very best that he could, Uh, served all the heads of state, all the people that he would come into contact with and to have LBJ say that to him. Uh, And especially, believe it, after, I mean, you would think chief boy in the N-word would have been enough, but he said what really killed him is when he told him to be a piece of furniture. Well, incredibly, that's what he did. And so being the driver of the president of the United States of America, he was privy to a lot of private conversations, uh, a lot of heads of states parties and that's what he did. He became a piece of furniture, and although he kept his mouth closed, he kept his ears open, and some years later, he would uh, produce a manuscript that would come into or be printed as a book, and the title of that was uh, Capitol Hill in Black and White, and if you would like to read that, it is uh, printed by Dodd and Mead, and again, the author's name would be Robert Parker. Now, the reason I'm telling you that this is how he referred to somebody that he interacted with on a daily basis that was black. And this would have been just about the same time that he is signing into uh, law the Civil Rights Act of 64 and 65. So I'll leave it to you. What do you think his motivation? Do you think his motivation was because he wanted to see black, black people more enfranchised? Do you think he did it to secure rights? for voting for the blacks? to I don't. I, I, I can't make any connection there. Uh, matter of fact, I think that my proposition to you, or my supposition is, it was driven solely for the black vote. So I cannot see any time in the history of the two parties where I see a market change in how the Republicans relate to the black citizens. Yes, I, and I told you before, I could have just as easily brought up remarks by some Republicans that were as equally racist, but that is thrown in your face all the time. And the history of the Republican Party, they don't have a history of supporting slavery. They don't have a history of voter suppression. They had nothing to do with Jim Crow laws. That was the point that I was trying to make. So my friend that I called up that uh, inspired that conversation, I called him before I did the podcast, and I called him after I did the podcast, and he listened to it. He did not agree with uh, much of what I had to say. He said it was very opinion-driven, that it uh, was not actual fact. I disagree. I I think if you uh, go back and listen to it, the, especially about the stuff about Woodrow Wilson, the stuff that I just held, uh, shared with you about LBJ, that's not my opinion. Uh, it is uh, it is my opinion when I tell you that his reason for supporting the Civil Rights Act of 64 and 65 was to get black votes. That I have to say that's an opinion. But I say given his history of racism, by Mr. Parker's own words, I say that whole reason for the Civil Rights Act of 6465 or at least his signing of it Of course the Republicans strongly supported it but his support of it was driven by the fact of knowing hey if we cannot beat them we're going to join them and if somebody's going to get those votes it might as well go to the Democratic He made an interesting comment concerning securing the vote of the Negro for the next 200 years. I'll let you go you google it. Tell me what you think, but my friend, I'm gonna I'm gonna get off. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that right there. I told you I'd carry a, cover a little bit more of LBJ. You you read about LBJ. I'm sick of LBJ, but I want to uh, get to my friend, was so kind to talk to me before I did the podcast and listen to the podcast and give me his impressions and his opinion. And what I really enjoy about talking to this particular gentleman, and there's reasons why I don't mention him by name. If he would ever like to be mentioned by name, I will be more than glad to mention him by name because he's a, he's a good friend and I'm glad, I'm glad that he tolerates me and he takes the time to talk to me because he doesn't see the world like I do. I mean, when I'm trying to put stuff out there for critique, I don't see where it does me any good to just surround myself with people who think just like I do because then I'm just in a self-contained bubble. I'm, I'm saying bubble things to bubble people. And when you get the opportunity to get critiqued by somebody who has a different view on different issues than you do, that that's, that's a very, very good thing. So it gives me an opportunity to listen to what he has to say and if he says something that i don't agree with there's there's a couple of things going on there i could be wrong i could be 100% wrong and i need to entertain changing my position could be that i could have stated my position better could be that he has a personal bias that is getting in the way but i have it gives me the opportunity to reassess and think about how I'm saying what I'm saying. Am I communicating? For instance, if uh, communicating something to him, he repeats it back to me. He says, I don't agree with it, but I am convinced that he heard it just like I said it. I got I got to throw that up and say, you know, well, we, that's just something we disagree on. But I, I do I, I so much appreciate the fact that he will listen to it. You know, when we finished up, he didn't agree with it. But, you know, he finished up by saying, you know, the show sounded great and encouraging words to continue on, man, you just can't beat it when you have people in your life like that, because that is what helps you grow. That is that is. Uh, it's very good to have things in your life that help you to really make you know if you truly believe those things that you believe. So my friend still holds his position about the whole change of the uh, Democratic Party uh, becoming the Supporters of the civil rights, and uh, I'm not going to say that uh, he's calling all Republicans racist. I don't, I don't think that's that would be fair. But he hasn't moved very much, and that's okay. That's okay. That's that's just fine. Um, what else would? Uh, what else could we talk about? The gun shooting. It does look. You know, I asked you early on to be slow to come to judgment concerning the uh, recent school shooting, and it does appear that the police response was not so good Uh, like i said i'm still going to be a little slow let the uh, investigation go forth i will just simply say this after the parkland shooting and some of the more recent shootings you would think that man they would be johnny on the spot because the general rule and there's a lot of training that has gone into uh, these police departments fire departments first responders uh, paramedics in these type of incidents where you know the general rule is run to the gun at least for the police and to get as much medical care in there as you possibly can secure the scene it doesn't look like what happened here so i don't know there's a lot of things i could say about it but until you're faced with a life-threatening situation you don't know how you're going to respond or react and uh Police departments all around the country should be very cognizant of the kind of people that they hire because you're going to try to counteract a violent situation. If you are trying to subdue or suppress a situation that is violent, you've got to have good people on the other side that are up to the task to equally being violent because that's what it's going to take to bring it under control, this uh, theory of sending in social workers at times like this, uh, that's, I'm sorry, that's just nonsense. That might be the conservative uh, mindset that I have, but I don't think anybody's gonna pull up and ask if you wanna lay on a couch and talk to them for a little bit. And we're, we're kind of past that. So, I uh, prayer still with the families, uh, it, it's absolutely horrible. I will say this again. I just hate the politicians. I hate the politicians that take uh, an incident like this and try to politicize it. Uh, They're already hitting the uh, airwaves with their rhetoric before people even have a time to bury their dead. And so thoughts and prayers still with those families. And, you know, shame shame on you politicians, whether you're on the right or left, trying to make a political statement out of this horrific incident now, we'll share some personal views uh, concerning gun control. Is I just find it absurd. I mean, how, where do you want to go with this reasoning? Are we going to do away with cars? Or, or Because there was a gentleman, a black gentleman, who had a very racist attitude, and he drove in a parade somewhere. I think it was Wisconsin. Uh, I very well could be wrong, but it, it was relatively recent. And he just mows down a bunch of senior citizens, children. Would the answer be to uh, start outlawing cars or getting them out of the hands of the uh, operators, take them them away from law-abiding drivers who have proper licensing and would never do anything like that? I brought up the uh, Timothy McVeigh bombing, and he did that basically with fertilizer and fuel oil, or diesel fuel, I believe it was, is the answer to take fertilizer away from the families, take diesel away from the truck drivers? No, it's not. There's there's, there's a human component here that has to be addressed, an evil component. That's what needs a mental illness. And it, it, it just seems to be so counterintuitive to go to the object that was used in the crime. I guess somebody can make the argument that, man, if you take the... Uh, guns out of people's hands maybe they'll go to more sophisticated bombs where they can do like Mr. McVeigh did uh, when he blew blew up that building in Oklahoma where almost instantaneous he had 160 plus people die and many hundreds more injured happened in milliseconds as opposed to minutes and unfortunately in this last case I think they said it happened over 45 minutes so I don't know, sometimes you uh, need to be careful of what you wish for or what you pray for. I will say this, one of the first things that Hitler did was take uh, private gun ownership away. So I I don't know if there's any uh, correlation there, too. Again, you're, you're dealing with a very, very evil entity. And it's a, it's a very good thing, I believe, for people to be able to protect themselves. It's, the gun is the great equalizer, especially for home protection. You know, a mother at home with her children, she's small, maybe she's a 100 pounds, two or three intruders come in, that gun is a great equalizer. And it's uh, got to be a great comfort for those people who have them to know that they have an option rather than to be a victim. But any way you want to slice that tomato, you know, you're going to get all the guns, so what are you going to do next? Are you going to start taking the knives away? I mean, how many times are you seeing somebody in New York City or Chicago getting bludgeoned with a hammer? Are we going to start taking all the hammers from Home Depot and Lowe's? You know, I, I just I just think it's uh, it's a level of insanity. So there we go. That's about 24, 25 minutes, and uh, I do appreciate you listening to the podcast. Hope you get a little something out of this. Hope uh, it'll make you look a little bit further, investigate. If you think it's uh, just opinions, hey, do your research, and you tell me why you think that I'm wrong. Anyhow, I'll tell you like I do my very good friend, who was so kind to share his time with me, his comments, his critique. I do take comments, and if you heard anything here that you liked today, Uh, Feel free to comment. Uh, If you want to leave me a little critique, please do. I I would urge you to subscribe to the channel if you like it. Please do that. But I hope you have a wonderful weekend. As always, I will bid you a fond adieu, praying for blessings upon your house. And until we can get back together, I'm out like a scout. You take care now. Bye.